0: Before we get into today's episode, I just wanna let you guys know about my second channel called Illuminati. It's linked in the description box. It's also linked in my Linktree link. If you don't know about it, make sure to go ahead and check it out. It's where I'm starting to live stream and talk about more relevant topics, recent things that are coming up, just anything going on in the news, the world, sometimes it's a little more casual too, and just hanging out with all of you. If you wanna check out the live streams or afterwards, I have an amazing editing team that goes ahead and edits those streams and puts them together into nice little digestible pieces, make sure to check out that channel, Illumina T, T T-E-A. Anna Delvey, born Anna Sorokin, showed up in New York City almost a decade ago with money to spend. She tipped people with $100 bills, told anyone who would listen about her plan for a massive art exhibit and traveled on luxurious getaways. However, when she was arrested and branded as a wannabe socialite, those around her began to wonder how real this supposed German heiress actually was. Was any part of her story true or was it all entirely fabricated? Hello everyone and welcome back to Multi-Level Mondays. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about Anna Delvey, the scammer socialite. We'll start by addressing Anna's history before getting into her business, trial, and how she appears in the media today. So let's jump into it. Anna Sorokin, also known as Anna Delvey, was born in Russia in 1991. She and her family moved to a small working class town in Germany near the Belgian and Dutch border in 2007. According to former classmates, Anna was quiet with an unwieldy common of German. Her father was a truck driver, later on an executive at a transport company, then an owner of a heating and cooling business. Right now, Anna says her parents are in the green energy business, but they've been quiet about the entire situation we're about to get into. When Anna graduated high school in 2011, her parents did help her out as Anna tried to find her path in life. At first, she attended Central Saint Martin's College in London before she went to intern at a fashion department in Berlin. According to an article from The Cut, she then landed a coveted internship at Purple Magazine and became Anna Delvey while in Paris. Though she only earned 400 euros a month and was reliant on her parents' support, Anna was dreaming big. While many people may know of Anna Delvey's 2017 escapades, it was actually around this time that Anna the socialite was born. After a breakup, Anna traveled to New York in late summer 2013 to see Montauk, the very tip of Long Island and attend fashion week. She made friends quickly and transferred to the purple office in New York before she eventually quit that job. Anna bounced around boutique hotels, handing out hundred dollar bills as cash tips and promising wire transfers that never came to be. She made friends with hotelier Andre Ballas and American British entrepreneur, Rule Rogers and real estate developer, Abby Rosen. As one acquaintance put it, Anna managed to be in all sorts of right places. It was unclear where exactly Anna came from. She told people she was from Cologne, but her German wasn't very good or what the source of her wealth was, but that wasn't unusual. There are so many trust fund kids running around. Everyone is your best friend and you don't know a thing about anyone. Another one of Anna's friends was Led, a DJ she met in 2014, who's been shown in multiple photos with Anna. Elle states that when she and her friend group met Anna, she didn't seem very friendly. And the first word Anna said to them was Balenciaga, which is a designer clothing brand. When one of the friends in the group commented that her dress was pretty, that's how Anna responded. She just goes, Balenciaga. A nightlife promoter, Tommy Sala and Elle and her friends said that Anna was a wealthy heiress from overseas who needed friends. Elle felt bad for her and offered Anna a blow-up mattress since she needed a place to stay. But Anna elected to sleep in a car instead. It was at that moment that Elle became suspicious of her. Why not sleep in a hotel? Everything seemed off about her, but Anna kept cropping up everywhere. She'd wait for a photographer to come by, then appear at Elle's side to, as Elle put it, push her way into the Manhattan scene. Despite having slept in a car, Anna also mentioned that she was looking to rent a $12,000 a month apartment with six bedrooms on the west side. Elle claims that during Paris Fashion Week, more red flags appeared when Anna first asked her for a hefty sum of money. Apparently, Anna, Elle, Elle's boyfriend, and a few other friends were at the Hotel de Delors drinking expensive champagne. Elle claims that she and her boyfriend were the only ones talking and the party was so silent, awkward, and uncomfortable that they left early. The next day, Anna called and said that she was trying to check out of the hotel, but her card wasn't working and the staff was being extremely mean to her. Crying, she asked Elle for 35,000 euros so she could check out, but Elle said she didn't have that kind of money and refused to loan it to her. After that encounter, Elle stayed clear of her. Though things with Elle didn't work out, this wasn't Anna's only connection. She also met with Michael Zufu Huang, a collector and founder of Beijing's M. Woods Museum. He purchased them plane tickets and a hotel to go to Venice, an international art exhibit, and never paid him back. As it wasn't a lot of money for him, which was about two or $3,000, he said he eventually forgot about it. However, when Anna booked a PR firm to put together her birthday party and neglected to give them her contact information or pay her bill, that's when red flags started going off in Huang's mind too. Despite these odd encounters and vague suspicions, Anna certainly appeared rich. Not only were there rumors about her being an heiress, having a trust fund and things of that nature, but her knowledge of fashion and clothing helped project this image of wealth. One article devoted to analyzing her outfit choices says that Anna wore the rich girl staple a shrunken black leather jacket over everything. It reads, quote, she didn't look like her outfit cost a million bucks and that's why she looked like she had a million bucks, end quote. She had the same things as everyone else in the city's party circuit, just more of it. And it was worn with a sloppy abandon the security of wealth allows. But why lie at all? Why did Anna carefully craft this image? Well, to create the Anna Delphi Foundation, of course. Anna wanted to create the ADF or Anna Delphi Foundation. She met Gabriel Calatrava, the son of a famous architect, Santiago, who worked and designed the World Trade Center Transportation Hub and claimed that Gabriel helped her secure the lease on a 45,000 square foot six floor church missions house. The ADF would have a dynamic visual arts center with pop-up shows, restaurants, a juice bar, a German bakery, and the building itself would be wrapped by the artist Christo for the inaugural event. Other articles claim that Anna told people that developer Abby Rosen, who owned the Hotel 11 Howard, was the one who secured the lease for her. Anna also met with Joel Cohan, ironically, the prosecutor of the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, to help secure her loan. Rosen's real estate firm, RFR, told her that if she couldn't come up with the money for ADF, they'd sign it over to the Swedish photography museum, Fotografiska. Anna was determined to turn ADF into a reality. She signed a new client intake form with Gibson Dunn, the firm Cohen worked for, and checked off boxes confirming that yes, she had the resources to pay for ADF and wouldn't embarrass the firm. Joel Cohen put Anna in touch with a partner that had expertise in this field named Andy Lance, who gave her connections to massive financial institutions. I'm not sure about the legality of them being able to ask for bank statements and look into if she genuinely had those assets. I'm sure it's a complicated process, but like, when you want to get a credit card loan or you want to purchase a car or a house or things like that, like you should be expected to provide those statements. So I don't understand why this would be any different. However, to an extent, I have to wonder if Anna could have pulled this off if Lance just looked into her story in the first place. Her name wasn't even genuine. So I'm curious how hard it would have been to do a background check, you know, verify the story, things of that nature before going into banks with her. It seems pretty ridiculous that these minor and relatively inexpensive safeguards were not taken, just to verify that everything was legitimate. Now, naturally, with a law firm representing her plus artists and celebrity fans surrounding her, it only made Anna look all the more legitimate. A banker at City National did ask to see her UBS statements, however, and Anna sent over a list of figures from a man named Peter W. Haneke instead. Haneke told the banker to use those for projections and he'd send over physical statements soon. According to Anna, Peter was the head of her family office, hence why he didn't have a UBS email. The document suggested that Anna was worth $60 million, but City National Bank wasn't the only one Anna sought a loan from. She also went on to apply for a $25 million loan from Fortress Investment Group with Lance's help. One of his emails to them read, our client Anna Delvey is undertaking a very exciting redevelopment of 281 Park Avenue South, backed by a marquee team for this type of venue and space. He stated that she needed the loan because her personal assets, which are quite substantial, are located outside the US, some of them in trust with USB outside the US. When they asked for a good faith deposit of $100,000, she used money procured from City National Bank to do so, overdrafting her account in the process. She also wrote thousands of dollars worth of fake checks to pay the scam between banks, seemingly in an attempt to get this big loan. In the meantime, while Anna was trying to get funding for ADF, she was also living the high life at the 11 Howard Hotel. One concierge, Neff Atari Davis, also known as Neff, said that Anna arrived at 11 Howard on February 18, 2017. She was checked into the Howard Deluxe, which cost almost $400 per night overlooking Soho. According to Neff, this was a bit surprising as celebrities are usually the only people that stay in the hotel for long stretches of time, but Anna was booked there for an entire month. Throughout the following weeks, Delvey would ask Neff for advice, essentially asking for her to play therapist and be her friend. Though other employees found Anna annoying, ill-mannered, and classist, they still fought over taking her packages upstairs. Anyone who did would get a $100 bill as a tip. As a result, Anna became a fixture at 11 Howard. She organized dinners at fancy restaurants like the Hotel's Le Coco, flashed her cash everywhere she went, and paid $4,500 for a personal trainer, Casey Duke. However, Anna never really had this money and it was starting to show. While Anna and Neff were attending dinner one night in Soho, Anna's card was declined. She handed the waiter a list of credit card numbers that Neff says were either on the notes app on her phone or in a small notebook. Neff claims the waiter went back to his station and began entering the numbers. There were like 12 and I know the guy tried them all. He was trying it and then shaking his head. Then I started to sweat because I knew the bill was mine. Neff paid almost $300 for their dinner that night but Anna could pay him back, right? She had millions of dollars coming in soon and $60 million to her name overseas, right? Well, Anna's charade was starting to unravel, but not before she swindled a few more people along the way. The Hotel 11 Howard had been new when Anna arrived and because she was a client of Abby Rosen's, agreed to take her in with the promise of a wire transfer. However, a month and a half after checking in, Anna still hadn't sent them any money nor did they have a credit card on file. Thanks to the events she arranged at their restaurant, Anna's hotel bill had become obscene. She owed the hotel about $30,000. Neff was sure that Anna had the money because Anna did pay her back after the restaurant incident. So this had to be a misunderstanding. When Neff told Anna her bill was due, she simply said that a wire transfer was on the way. And later that day, even bought a 1975 bottle of Dom Perignon for the hotel staff. Seemingly true to her word, a $30,000 wire transfer to Citibank did come a little while later but she still didn't give them a working credit card despite repeated asking. Unfortunately, Anna was nowhere to be found. She was off traveling in Omaha, riding around on golf carts and slipping into VIP parties with Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. Anna even traveled there with one of the hedge fund managers of Martin Shkreli. And yes, I do mean the pharma bro himself. And she did that all before coming back to the hotel to find the code to her room had been changed and all her possessions were locked. Anna was livid and claimed that she'd purchased domain names in all of the manager's names, a trick she supposedly learned from Skrelly himself. As if to blow off steam, Anna booked a hotel for herself and her friend, Rachel Williams, a visual editor for Vanity Fair at the time on a trip to Morocco. Neff claimed that Anna invited her along, but her mother told Neff that nothing in life is free and she had a bad feeling about the trip. Plus she simply couldn't get the eight days off of work. Anna, showing that she didn't understand how jobs work, told Neff to just quit, but ultimately left without her. Rachel Williams, as well as Anna's trainer, Casey Duke, stayed at a $7,000 a night hotel with an interior garden, also known as a Riyadh, and had their own private butler. Casey had to leave early after coming down with food poisoning, but Rachel stayed. When the bill arrived at the end of the vacation, the credit card Anna had used was not functioning, and Rachel was forced to put the money on a card she used for work expenses all $62,000 more than her annual salary. Anna promised to pay her back, but the most she did was return $5,000 of the 62 via wire transfer a month later. After coming home from Morocco, Anna went right back to living in luxurious hotels. Now that she picked up her things at 11 Howard and was no longer welcome there, she headed over to the Beekman Hotel. Almost three weeks into her stay, they realized they didn't have a working credit card on file nor had they received a wire transfer. So just like 11 Howard, they locked Anna out of her room. The bill there amounted to just over $11,000. It only took the W Hotel downtown two days to kick Anna out and come early July, Anna had nowhere else to go. The London designer hired to do the ADF branding, Mark Kramers was also contacting her for his 16,800 pound fee, even going so far as to email Henneke, her financial advisor. Tragically, Anna told Kramers that Peter had actually passed away the previous month and to stop emailing him. Effectively homeless without a hotel to take her in, Anna went to Casey. Since Casey left Morocco early, she had no idea that Rachel was the one stuck with the bill. Instead, she reluctantly took Anna in, who apparently drank her sparkling water straight from the bottle and sobbed, telling Casey she might do something if left alone that night. Casey said she was suspicious and she ended up texting Rachel, learning the truth about who really paid for the trip to Morocco. Casey sent Anna on her way the following morning, but she returned the next night, looking to stay with Casey once more. According to Anna, she asked her doorman to say that she was away, but Anna waited there for hours, not leaving until after midnight. Anna was finally arrested for skipping out on her bills at the Beekman in W, New York, as well as a restaurant called Le Parker Meridian. The New York Post ran a headline entitled, Wannabe Socialite Busted for Skipping Out on Pricey Hotel Bills, branding her as a fraud for the world to see. Her defense lawyer at the time, Todd Spodick, claimed that she had every intention of paying these bills and that the debts would soon be resolved. She was released temporarily and even asked Spodick for a place to stay. He refused and once more, she went to her trainer for help. Casey and the rest of her friends were fed up and instead organized an intervention. Why was she doing this? Anna had $60 million in assets, right? Her deceased financial manager had proof of that when he contacted the banks on her behalf. So what happened? Had Anna been lying? According to Casey, Anna cried and told them that once she got the lease on the building for ADF, she'd be able to pay everyone back. But that was never meant to be. Fotografiska signed it already. Her dream for ADF was crushed. At some point after the first arrest, Anna knew that she needed to skip town and she went to LA. However, Rachel, who wanted her $60,000 back, went to the district attorney and learned that there were multiple investigations pending against Anna not just misdemeanors for hotel bills, but millions of dollars worth of grand larceny charges. She decided to help them and set Anna up, texting her as if they were still friends and asking Anna to meet her. On the way there in October, Anna was arrested for a second time. And before we get into how this scam fully unwound and what happened afterwards and looking forward to present times, let's just take a quick moment to thank today's sponsors. New year, new food, and it's time to start changing some habits. And whether you're saving money with less takeout, learning to cook or getting healthy, HelloFresh can help you get there with all of that and more. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week. So you get convenience without skimping on quality. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including veggie, calorie smart, family friendly, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety. And I constantly say it, but their app is so easy to work with and you can change your schedule to be weekly or whatever you need. Like I recently have changed mine to monthly right now because I'm in the middle of moving. So like my life is turned upside down while I'm packing stuff up and putting stuff away and then unpacking it and setting it back up again. So I just need to like chill out just a hair. But that's what's so awesome is I can have the flexibility to prep meals in advance. So I know when I'm done moving in, my boxes can keep coming in and I can keep eating delicious foods. So make sure you go to hellofresh.com slash MLM16 and use code MLM16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's up to 16 free meals and three free gifts at hellofresh.com slash MLM16 with code MLM16. Imagine what you could do if you were free from high interest debt. January is a great time to look towards the future and get your financial house in order with Upstart. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debts with a personal loan, and you can do it all online. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're consolidating debts, doing a house improvement, or you know maybe you're putting together a new project, getting a startup going for a business, Upstart can help. Rather than looking at only your credit score, Upstart considers other factors as well, like your current employment, income, and your credit history, all to find you a smarter loan rate. Check out rates online without it impacting your credit score for loans between $1,000 and $50,000. If you wanna find out how Upstart can help you lower your monthly payments today, make sure you go to upstart.com MLM. That's upstart.com MLM. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application, upstart.com slash MLM. As I'm sure you've already guessed, that $60 million never existed. Anna forged the documents in late 2016 and the accountant, Peter Henneke, rest in peace, never existed. She pursued both Citi National Bank and Fortress for 20 plus million dollars in loans each and convinced each bank she was good for the money by using the other one's documents. Citi gave her money for the due diligence report at Fortress, but when she realized Fortress was going to send representatives to Switzerland to check her assets, she withdrew herself from the process halfway through, giving her about half $55,000 worth of spending money. And that was the cash that she threw around. However, behind bars, Anna was offended at her classification as a wannabe socialite. She claimed that her dinners were work dinners and she wanted to be taken very seriously. If she had gotten the funding for ADF, she really would have been able to pay everyone back. That's why she commissioned materials, had meetings, and sought these massive loans. When confronted with her mistakes, Anna claimed, "'I had what I thought was a great team around me, "'and I was having fun. "'That doesn't diminish the hundreds of things I did right.'" Whether Anna had genuine intentions to create ADF and pay everyone back, I can't know for sure. But we do know, as we've heard many times previously, that good intentions can only get you so far. Even if Anna truly wanted to create the ADF, she lied about having the funds to back up those dreams. Yet as Anna insisted that her dreams for ADF were so close and she intended to pay everyone back, her lawyers have actually said differently. According to Insider, Anna's lawyer, Todd Spodek, approached the case from the standpoint of convincing jurors that Anna's frauds were so incompetent that they don't even qualify as crimes. Those banks believed that she was a German heiress and they believed they would get a 15% interest loan. They just closed their eyes and went through the process, he said. And it's true that I think there was a lot of incompetency on the law firm and the bank's parts here. But if someone lies to you and steals from you, they're kind of the definition of a criminal. It's your responsibility, especially as a financial institution, to look after your own assets, but that doesn't make her actions any better. She found a flaw in the system and she exploited the living hell out of it. He also argued that she never came close to really stealing millions of dollars as former Fortress Investment Group banker, Dennis Onabajo, testified that he couldn't actually get satisfactory details from Anna or even determined if she had a single dollar to her name. Anna's lawyer also focused on the fact that this former investment group banker sent flirty messages to Anna, seemingly more interested in a romantic relationship than performing due diligence. He even went so far as to say shame on the bankers themselves, implying that Anna had no choice but to pretend to be an heiress since they wouldn't have given her the opportunity to get a loan and fulfill her ADF goal otherwise. As for Anna, despite being in Riker's prison, she kind of seemed to enjoy herself. Jessica Pressler wrote a lengthy article about Anna in the cut and interviewed her while in prison. Her article reads, this place is not that bad at all, actually, Anna told me, eyes sparkling behind her saline glasses. People seem to think it's horrible, but I see it as like this sociological experiment. She'd made friends, of course. The murderers were the most interesting to her. There are a couple of girls who are here for financial crimes as well, she told me. This one girl, she'd been stealing other people's identities. I didn't realize it was so easy. Anna's lawyer referred to Anna as a unicorn behind bars as, quote, everyone else is in there for like stabbing their baby daddy, end quote. Though Anna giggled in her interviews and seemed to take incarceration in stride, the New York Times argued that she was anything but a model prisoner. Apparently before trial, she was offered a plea deal with a sentence of three to nine years in prison, but thought that was too long. So she took her chances on a trial instead. She was disciplined about 30 times as of that article's release in 2019, which included a few weeks in solitary. A city corrections official confirmed this and said that Anna had over a dozen infractions for things like fighting and disobeying orders. She also claimed she was fortunate enough to go to real prison, so she'll have plenty of material to write a memoir about her experience at Rikers. This would be her second book, as she already started working on one about her experiences in New York. But while Anna was seemingly making the most out of prison, her trial was turning into a circus. Spodek compared Anna to singer Frank Sinatra and his recording of New York, New York, which features the line, if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. He said in his opening statement, quote, Anna was not content with being a spectator, but wanted to be a participant. Anna didn't wait for opportunities, Anna created opportunities. Now we can all relate to that. There's a little bit of Anna in all of us. Sinatra made a new start here in New York, and so did Ms. Sorokin. They both created a golden opportunity, end quote. The key difference here is that one of them created opportunities legally, but I digress. In another moment, the New York Times dubbed the challenges of styling the incarcerated. Anna would actually refuse to enter the courtroom and have meltdowns if she wasn't happy with her outfit. She attended her trial in designer clothes picked up by the stylist Anastasia Walker, but broke down when her lawyer tried to offer her a cashmere blend sweater and Ann Taylor dress. The judge eventually had enough of this and said that if Anna couldn't find something to wear, then she'd wear whatever clothing was provided by the Department of Corrections. At the trial itself, Rachel Williams, the photo editor that paid for the trip to Morocco, broke down in tears while testifying. She told the jury that she wished she had never met Anna and that this was the most traumatic experience she'd ever been through. Anna later commented that Rachel should try a week at Rikers and the jury found Anna not guilty of this particular charge. One juror explained that Anna had done many nice things for Rachel and she'd accepted all of it. Rachel had also made several deals and written a book talking about her experience. So she stands to make more than six figures from this. Therefore, the jury didn't find her all that sympathetic, nor was Anna ordered to pay back restitution for the trip. Rachel had explained that even though she did benefit from this, it wasn't worth it. This wasn't her plan, implying that she was simply making the best out of a bad situation. As for Anna, the other charges remained. She was found guilty of three counts of grand larceny and one count of attempted grand larceny, though she was found not guilty of attempted grand larceny in the first degree over the $22 million loan she attempted to secure. It seems as if her lawyer's argument that this was done so poorly that she was nowhere near genuinely obtaining it working out. She was sentenced to four to 12 years in prison, more than her plea deal would have been. Her story made headlines much like Elizabeth Holmes and Billy McFarland, other grifters who were able to pretend their way into money and appears as if they had millions, when in reality, they did not. After sentencing, Anna said she was not sorry, and she'd only be lying to everyone else and herself if she said she was sorry. But Anna had captured the country's attention with her charges, her fashion in the courtroom, and her unapologetic attitude. Recently, she's been making headlines again, as this is not the end of the Anna Sorokin story. Anna was arrested in 2017, sentenced in 2019, and in February, 2021, she was released on good behavior. She must've turned over a new leaf after all those disciplinary actions, apparently. According to Anna, the very first thing she did was get back on social media, seemingly ready to get back to her life. In her first television interview since her release with ABC's 2020, she began to explain everything. She told him that the reason her credit cards hadn't worked in Morocco is because she neglected to tell her bank she was traveling, so they blocked the cards. Rachel, who was also featured in the 2020 special, said that Anna was refusing to pay her back and full of a billion and a one excuses. Anna claimed that she truly thought the money was coming in, money that she could use to pay Rachel back, so she hadn't been concerned. While in prison, Anna admits she was earning actual money as Netflix reportedly paid her about $300,000 for the rights to a documentary. turns out the trial, while ultimately giving her more time behind bars, was actually a smart move too. As one reporter put it, "'Most people go to trial to be found not guilty. "'She went to trial for the story. "'By the time Anna was released, "'she had the fame that she had always faked, "'even for extremely unconventional reasons.'" From then on, Anna began promoting a very different side of the story. She wasn't a dumb wannabe socialite, but she truly wanted to open the ADF. Since she didn't have the money, she just needed to do something a little bit gray, such as faking bank documents in order to get her hands on it. Once she had that money though, Anna had the best intentions for it, creating business and paying everyone back. Everyone lies a little bit, whether on social media, whether presenting the best image you want to the public, and these white lies may have been misleading, but they aren't harmful. I never had a fraudulent intent, and that's what should really count, Anna told the interviewer. Anna's lawyers have a point that yes, plenty of people buy things. Maybe they can't afford and put it on credit cards. And we all present the best version of ourselves on social media. Buying expensive things and showing one side of ourselves on Instagram is, is one thing for sure, but refusing to pay hotel bills and attempting to use fake bank statements to get a loan and sell a false reality to investment groups is a totally separate thing. However, while Anna's intent is one thing, her recent actions are another. She has a new lawyer now as her old one Spodek claims that he believes she'll be deported. Right after her release, Anna began posting on social media, giving interviews, speaking out, and being far from indiscreet as he advised. Since March, Anna's been held in Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE custody. If an immigrant is convicted of a felony, their immigration status is reviewed. So this could be the reason why she's being held by ICE in the first place, though it's not entirely clear how much longer Anna is going to be held there for. As the situation is still unfolding, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. The Netflix special featuring Julia Garner as Anna Delvey is set to release in February of this year. So I'm curious to see if that will reveal anything else we may have not been aware of. But for now, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of Multi-Level Mondays. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure you're liking, following, and subscribing so that you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes. If you want to connect with me outside of these episodes, make sure to go to my Linktree link where you can see all of my links for my social media and other projects that I'm involved in. I want to thank you for spending some of your time here with me today. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye. I tend to be where the light...